kids, the kids can go if you haven't gone already. Um, I have two scripture readings this morning. The first one is found in Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willow trees there we hung our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites at the day of Jerusalem, and how they said, Lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall be he who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall be he who takes you, your little ones, and dashes them against the rock. And then the next passage comes from Mark 12 starting at verse 28. It's called the Great Commandment. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he was answering them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that which he is one, and that there is no other besides him. And to, the love, and to love him with all your heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more important than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Good morning. Before turning to the sermon itself, I want to spend a few minutes in prayer. Um, we're, we can remind ourselves that a lot happens in a given week between one Sunday and the next. And we have a, a number of matters for prayer. Just even before that, to briefly mention a couple of announcements. Tomorrow night at 7 p.m. here, we have a congregational prayer meeting. Anybody is welcome to come. It goes from 7 till 8 and it's a great time to just pray for the needs of the church and the community and the vision and direction of the church. Another announcement I wanted to make. Someone came into the office. This happens from time to time, and they drop off. You know, here's something that's happening, and you guys should advertise it, and often we don't. But um, we've decided to advertise this. Many of you know the Universal Gospel Choir. Uh, we have some connections and people who are in or have been in that choir from this church. And they're doing a fundraiser for a group called Spectrum Mother Support Society, Spectrum is a group that supports mums in need. So any, anyone who is just overwhelmed, and particularly those who don't have large networks of support, Spectrum steps in and helps out. 
And uh, I've heard a number of great stories of this organization. So on April 21st, it's a Saturday night at North Shore Alliance, there's a fundraiser. So tickets are $25, but that's because it's, it's to raise funds for this group. And I think this is their major fundraiser for, for all of what they do during the year. So remember that. Remember also camp coming up. And uh, if you can register, if you'd like to attend, we would love you to do that as soon as possible. We really are trying to get people also, if you can't attend or are not attending this year, if it's possible for you to chip in to a sponsorship fund, we more and more would like to say to families uh, who might not be coming because of the cost that we can help out with that. So there are ways to help out even if you can't attend. Speak to me for details on that. And the last announcement is just under where you are here in the basement, if you haven't witnessed the church maze, the, the uh, youth maze, cardboard maze that uh, Keith and crew made, you need to go see that. So it'll still be there after church. Um, uh, yes, it will still be there after church. Alan, you're not having a wrecking party right away? Okay, good. So it is fantastic. We had 34 kids here for the first five on Friday night. That's the little ones, and then a ton more kids for youth after that. And uh, it was a fantastic time. So I'm going to spend a few minutes in prayer, just thinking about what the week has brought some of you would have seen the news on Tuesday that there was a shooting at YouTube, and uh, Aaron Lalau works there in that building, uh, and is often in that building at that exact time, um, right by those doors. And so I saw the news, and I thought, I can't text Richard too quickly. Um, so I waited a little bit and texted him. He replied right away, and he said, I've been talking to Aaron the whole time. He's in lockdown. He's in a room there. And uh, he's okay, but uh, so we're going to continue to pray for those who've been impacted by that. Uh, John Van Hoogstraten was in the hospital this week, suffered another minor stroke, and he just came home yesterday morning, I believe. So we'll pray for John. Faye Nevers was also in hospital uh, and was released early this week. We also are praying for um, Caroline and Anne in our midst who both have uh, friends who died this week or recently. In Anne's case... It's a co-worker's husband died. This is someone who had worked at Carson Graham and died uh, uh, very suddenly while on vacation with his wife. And so uh, we'll pray for them and, and for those uh, supporting the family. And Caroline lost a good friend this week as well. So we'll be praying about that. And of course, and you never know how various news items will affect you, right? Maybe it's because I've been a hockey coach for years or used to be and... But this tragedy that happened in Saskatchewan is, is something that I woke up like six times last night thinking about this. And it is devastating. And so we will join with um, people across our nation praying for that community and for all of the families impacted. So let's pray together. I'll close our time in prayer by praying for the hearing of the word. So Heavenly Father, we have named before you already these that we bring in prayer. We pray for Caroline at this time, having lost a friend. We pray for the family affected. Think of Caroline and how she has been familiar with loss and death. I think of how last Sunday was the ninth, I think it's ninth anniversary of losing her sister so suddenly. Come Holy Spirit and bring peace where it would have to be beyond our understanding. Bring your blessing, we ask, even in darkness. 
We pray for this couple, for their whole family. I know that there's kids, and I think I even heard grandkids, people who have worked um, in schools in, on the North Shore for so many years, and for this sudden loss. We pray your sustaining hand, strength and healing, and even peace. And bless Anne and others as they seek to care and, uh, and love people who have suffered such devastating loss. We pray for Aaron Lalau, Lord. We thank you for protecting him and many others in what could have been so much worse. But we are reminded of the strain, stress, difficulty, and darkness in this world. We pray for the families of people who are affected there. We pray for the family of the woman who did the shooting. Uh, And Lord, we ask that you would bring your mercy. We pray for the same for humble Saskatchewan. Lord, this is beyond our ability to comprehend. And uh, if it's beyond our ability to comprehend, we can't even imagine what it would be like to be sitting in those rooms, what it would be like to be a family member, someone who has died, and certainly what it would be like to have been killed in such a devastating accident. We pray for all involved including the driver of that semi, who, again, Lord, we can't even begin to imagine what it must feel like. So bring your blessing, we ask. And now in this quiet, we lift up our prayer to you. Be with those people. Now for the hearing of your word, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and spirits that are receptive to anything useful that would be said this morning, that we would grow in this faith, and that we would grow in the ability to be a blessing in this world. We thank you that we live when we do, where we do, and we pray that we would, hearing the words of George Galpin this morning reminding us of your word, that we would know what it means to keep ourselves occupied Lord Jesus, until you come again, reflecting your love in this world. So bless us to hear your word by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning, we ask. In Christ's name, amen. So, it was mentioned that we have this new series that we're going to run up to camp, and we're calling it How to Argue Christianly. Well, I was looking at the monitor, so it is there. Okay, good. Um, The emphasis is on Christianly, which is kind of a word rather than on the how. I'm not here to teach you how to start or how to win arguments, though that could be fun too. Sometimes it feels like everywhere is argument. It can seem that disagreement, discord, and conflict give color to your days. Some of you might argue with your children from time to time. Some of you might see siblings argue with one another or be one of those siblings. Everybody I ask as I was preparing for this series, as soon as I mention it, they say, oh yeah, and then they just start talking about their life. I had lunch with Jim Miller this week, and I said, oh, we're just doing the series on, and so I said, do you have any arguments? Jim's a hotel manager. So he just smiled at me. He told me about two in particular, one where he was in the elevator. They must have been going from the ground floor to quite high, because he said these two young women were arguing so vociferously in the elevator 
with him in there, three people in there. Two people fighting and Jim. He said it got so bad that they just stopped yelling at each other and started texting each other instead. He said in most days, or many days, when he goes to park his car, he's got his own spot, general manager. Not easy to find a spot in downtown Vancouver. And many, many times as he gets there, somebody is parking their car in that same spot. So he said to me, so I fight them. No, that's not what he said. He talked about the excuses they give and how it could become an argument. But he generally, I'm going to say most times, every time, every time, doesn't allow it to be a fight. When I say argument, you could say, what do you mean? For some people, argument is shouting. So argument is is always a negative word. You know, why do we have to argue so much? But there's another meaning, one that I appreciate, and that is an argument is a careful defense of a position. Right? So argument isn't necessarily bad, though some people don't even like the kind of arguments that are just careful defenses of positions. You present your argument that what? I mean, at one time there was an argument over, is the earth flat? And there were, in some cases, careful presentations of arguments, and in other cases, you were killed if you thought the wrong thing. That's a fight now. My contention is, whether it's strong disagreement or thoughtful consideration, how we argue, how you argue, Not just with people outside the church, but particularly how we argue with people in our own community of faith, people who might see faith differently, though they share it. How we argue ought to be greatly impacted by our Christian faith. This would be in marriage. This would be with children. This would be at work. This would be with people who you disagree with politically. Not that we're saying you need to agree, but rather that how you argue matters. I, this doesn't seem like a revelation probably to many who know me, I like a good argument. You can say things like, they'll know we are Christians by our love. So that means that we always just always smile at each other and it's so wonderful. The same way, to say the same thing differently, one of the ways that they'll see our love is they will know that we are Christians by the fact that we argue differently. So today I'm simply going to introduce the series and introduce some major themes as to why faith ought to affect how we argue. We'll look at the Bible briefly, do a sweep through some of the fights and arguments in Scripture, and we'll introduce that it is particularly Jesus, even more than the rest of Scripture. Now, you you know one of my interpretive keys for you as a congregation with Scripture is not to take the Jesus part and all the rest and kind of say, well, here Jesus is saying, love your enemies, and here God is saying, kill all the people. So we got to kind of weigh them together. No, you don't. Take Jesus' way and interpret the rest in light of Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is, if you take the Jesus part out of Scripture and use some parts of Scripture to try to teach somebody how to argue, you could make some terrible, terrible mistakes. And that's been done through church history. It's Jesus who shows us a better way. As we move through the series, some of the major themes that we'll look at, we'll consider Christian concepts of power, Christian concepts of right and wrong, forgiveness and Christ-likeness. We'll consider some of the virtues of Christian faith that compel us to do these things well and properly. Forgiveness and Christ-likeness as gifts 
in the Christian community. And finally, we'll look at the fact that we are called to hope, which ought to change the way we argue, even in small ways. So think of a day in your life or in the world in general. You can think of walking through your day or turning on the news or reading news online. And I'll simply say to you, have you witnessed any arguments lately? <laughs> yeah. Have you witnessed could include being part of one? And some of you would say, on the way to church this morning. I mean, my family lives so close that we can come up separately. But do you, I remember those arguments of whether you'd get here at a certain time. I was riding my bike in Horseshoe Bay earlier this week. Actually, it was the day I was getting texts during the ride from Richard about uh, what was happening with Aaron. And on the way back out of Horseshoe Bay, there's kind of a steep hill out of Horseshoe Bay. And this car, just loud, really... I get frustrated at stuff like this, like a motorcycle that's like... And I think, if my car sounded like that, I'd get a ticket. And this car sounded really loud and just was making its presence known to the entire universe and kind of drove by and seemed to be driving really quickly. And there was an older man about to cross the street carrying some groceries. And the car went by so close to him because the road's quite narrow at that point that he actually dropped a couple of the groceries. And I'm kind of riding in behind this, and it's up a hill, so I'm riding quite slowly. And I'm just witnessing this as I'm riding. And the car stopped in the middle of the road. And there's no other lane. There's no way to get around this car. Car stopped. Driver jumps out. He's a young guy. Comes running towards the older guy. And I thought, oh, no, what's going to happen? And the young guy actually was aggressive in a way, but apologetic. Because the older guy, when he dropped the groceries, started yelling and and making motions towards the car. And so the young guy came back and he said, I apologize! It was an interesting apology. (laughs) But it was like that. I apologize, but I wasn't speeding. My car's just really loud. And I felt like saying, well, that's not incidental. You you did that on purpose. It didn't happen that... and And then, by this point, there's seven other cars lined up behind the car. Just... Open your eyes to the arguments in your life. I didn't say a word, I just rode by. So a preacher can say, whether it's in your family or at the grocery store or your work or your friendships, this is the kind of thing preachers do. Everybody's arguing all the time. Aren't they people? Right? And then the congregation's supposed to go, yes, it's a terrible, terrible world. Everybody's arguing. Right? One of the things we need more and more in church is honesty about things that are actually quite good in the world. Churches can sometimes focus on the bad. Do you want to know the truth? Most of the time, people aren't arguing. It's remarkable how little argument there is. We follow the rules of the road. We go to the grocery store, and you don't fight with most people. Some some individual personalities seem to fight all the time. It's just their natural mode, right? Right? But what is also remarkable is that most of the time, we get along pretty well. One of the jokes about Canadians is that our deference is so extreme that somebody cuts us off in traffic and we say sorry. Whether you feel like it's everywhere all the time or whether it's exceptional that you mostly don't argue, you know, you hear couples say this, me and my spouse, we've never had an argument. (laughs) Well, you have a terrible memory then. whether you think you mostly don't argue, the truth is the arguments that do exist in your life and around you in this world can have a powerful impact on your life and your mood 
you can be having just a great day, a great evening, now which I'm terribly thinking of with something last night at home. <laughs> and just having a great day and then some little argument. And everything changes. You can fancy yourself someone who pretty much gets along with all people, but one conflict or disagreement, one broken relationship that extends through time, can cause you debilitating pain. It's a good word for this that we use in other contexts, but it actually fits this arguably better. This is a dis-ease. You have a dis-ease. You're not at ease. It's disrupted your peace. And I don't know how you feel. One of the most devastating things is when you are still being defensive, but you know that you're wrong. Or when you know that you're right, but you've broken relationship. So our text this morning, Jesus speaking about the greatest commandment. And this teacher of the law, whose job was, in many ways, to arbitrate disagreements and arguments, asking Jesus this question. What's the greatest commandment? What does the question imply? It implies that this person kind of has it together, has a general idea of what matters, but then is saying, but Jesus, of all things, what's the most important thing? What does it take to master a life? One thing. And Jesus takes the man's eyes off of himself and onto God and onto other people and says the most important thing in the world, the one thing that matters, love God, but loving God also means loving neighbor. The context from a a religious tradition, reflecting it, fulfilling it, concepts of love and neighborliness both at issue in the faith. Jesus comes along and in his teaching and in his words and his life and ultimately in his death, He shows us the fulfillment of the love and contrast to something that that falls short of that love. Scripture itself is filled with argument. Sometimes we have this romantic view of Scripture that it's, um, you know, we open it up and we get little little sayings that help us through our day. But you're just as liable to open it up and get some terrible disagreement between two people or more. Right early on, Cain and Abel. It's not far into the Bible when we get a first murder. Abraham and God have an argument. That one's quite different in its nature. God says he's going to do something, and Abraham says, no, 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 you can't do that because that's against your very character. You can look that up. Jacob and Esau, remember that argument? That fight? Family conflict. You think you have conflict in your family? I mean, there are still in our world today family members who actually want to kill another family member. But we have it right in our scripture. And Jacob is one of the heroes of faith. Who lies, deceives his brother with the help of his mom. The story of Egypt, there's great conflict there. International geopolitical conflict. And then as the people who had been slaves in Egypt are delivered, and they're in the desert, what happens? What do they do a lot of? Grumbling. Grumbling often is the precursor to arguing, right? Just think about this in your own family, in your own relationships, and yourself. What's wrong? Nothing. What's wrong? Well, you're grumbling now. And start the clock till there'll be a fight. 
Well, it's just that, and off you go. The people in the desert, they grumble first, and they argue second. Moses isn't really the leader that we think. They go after him. And Moses argues with God. Moses argues the case of the people before God because God wants to wipe them out. But then when God says, I'm going to wipe them out, Moses says, no, don't do that. And then it flips so that Moses wants to do away with the people. And God says, no, they're my people. Scripture is filled with God's people fighting and arguing with other nations and God's people in the Old Testament and the New. But think of the Old Testament situation with the tribes and there was conflict between these tribes at times. And then you can think of personal stories that are in Scripture. Stories of people like David who became King David. David and Saul, there's great conflict. And the one that is heart-wrenching is David and his son Absalom. David and his best friend Ahithophel, there's betrayal there. And then David and his son Absalom, who Absalom takes up arms against his own father because of terrible, terrible situations in the family. And in the poetry of Scripture, that's why I asked for this psalm to be read this morning. This is at the time of exile when the people of God have been cut off from the land of promise. We know that part of that is consequence of their own forgetting of God, but God uses this terrible instrument of nations that defeat God's people, kill very many of them, and carry most of the rest off into exile, and then you have this mocking scene. Why don't you sing your songs from back home for us by the rivers of Babylon where we sat down and wept? We remembered Zion, and they said, why don't you sing your songs of mirth? And as the psalm continues to its end, it ends on this horrible note. God, we pray, blessed are the people who take their children and smash them against the rocks. And it's hard after that to say, this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. This is our scripture, it's there. In the New Testament, there's still a lot of argument and conflict, political groups against one another. The context of of much of the conflict in the New Testament is the Roman occupation of the land, a foreign nation having power over the people in this land, which leads to conflict between the oppressed and the oppressors, but also always leads to conflict between the oppressed and the oppressed as they disagree over what, what to do about this occupation. And many of the groups that you see named when Jesus is speaking... Zealots, Sadducees, Pharisees, they had various various stances on what to do about the occupying power. Much of the New Testament, New Testament is written in context of disagreement, some of it theological. Paul is introduced to us, but when he's introduced to us, his name isn't Paul, right? It's Saul. And what's he doing, remember? He's killing Christians who are called people of the way at that point. His chief concern in life is to stifle what he considers a religious heresy, Christian faith. Imprison, kill, stop Christians. We're told that he witnesses the execution, the murder of a Christian, and expresses his approval at the scene. Later, he himself will become a Christian with this supernatural, miraculous visitation of Jesus Christ, his voice. But even after that, there's more argument. Now people want to kill Paul. Because he's now saying, well, now I'm on your side, and what would you feel? 
and they're lowering him in baskets to get him in and out of places. Even as he's accepted within the community, there's still conflict and disagreement. All of this to say that this is the way things are, but there is a way things ought to be. The way things ought to be is directed by the word hope. We are to live according to a Christian hope. So here's the test for you to ask yourself, what would it mean that that Christian hope would impact even the small arguments in your day-to-day living over parking spaces or chores or familial arguments or arguments within the community? If we have a Christian hope, it doesn't mean that these things don't happen, but it changes the parameters of the discussion. Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. This is the chief declaration of the people of God in the Old Testament. And the call added to it is to love your neighbor. It's not new apart from the Old Testament. The call to love neighbor existed in the Old Testament, but it was slightly different. The call is there to welcome the stranger, but that's not fully realized until Jesus Christ himself shows us what it means to fully love someone who's a stranger or even an opponent. You'll hear this in New Testament echoes of the call. As much as possible, as much as it depends on you, this is in our scripture, live at peace with everyone. What does that scripture passage imply? As much as possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It implies two things. The call to live at peace and the reality that it's not always easy. Consider others before thinking of yourself. Bear with one another. And then Jesus Christ himself, listen to his words And we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Jesus Christ says to us, do not judge. Don't judge others. You know the famous passage. Why do you think about the speck in your brother's eye when you're walking around with a log in your eye? It's almost humorous, the illustration. He says, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. But he takes this further to the heights and says, You have heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. But I say to you, Matthew chapter 7, You've heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies. Jesus Christ talks about turning the other cheek. And says, and here we see the cross in focus. Greater love has no one than this, that you lay down your life for your friends. And I have called you friends. There's no greater love than to lay your life down for someone else. And it doesn't simply mean, well, I'd lay my life down for a friend, but not for somebody else. Because the direction of what makes Jesus' followers his friends here, greater love has no one than this, that you lay down your life for your friends. And the next words are, and I have called you friends. It's not, and you have gained worthiness of my love. It's, I have given you my love. And ultimately, the cross itself, where we see forgiveness and self-sacrifice, trust in God, 
redemption and reconciliation all in their fullness. This is your life in this world. You are to be guided by your faith, not by your opposition. It's too easy to forget that in this world. So why would we argue differently in light of our faith? Firstly, well, for us, we would have to ask the question, what is at stake? In even small arguments, it can seem that everything is at stake. Now you just have to picture a child who has a toy taken away that they want. And you just take it out of their hand for a moment. And what happens? What can happen? They freak, they scream, they go crazy. A child loses their mind at the slightest thing. And maybe we think it's cute with a child. But what about if you get into arguments and break relationships over things that do not have ultimate importance in this world? And for the Christian, the question, what is at stake, is different because of Christian faith. In other words, we don't expect that child to understand that it's not a big deal. But we scream and holler at the smallest provocation and don't seem to remember that God is sovereign and on the throne, even if I don't get my way here. The distance between that child and us is nothing in comparison to the distance between us and God. You smile and kind of laugh at that child's ignorance, but you think that all your fights are worthy. Spiritual maturity brings this to another level. If God is sovereign, and that is our faith, over all, God is sovereign and good, then I can trust in God and not have to win every argument. Secondly, what does it mean to win? Again, I could put myself in this. Occasionally I like winning. And occasionally I like winning just arguments, sometimes arguments over nothing. You could talk to my friend Ken Bell. He's good at losing arguments. (laughs) But when you ask what does it mean to win, if you think winning the argument means a win, then there can come the cost of just vanquishing opponents. That somebody has to be defeated. And this becomes a problem. If you have arguments in your family, arguments at work, arguments in society... And I'll say this to those of you who convinced, and it might be the case for some of you, that most of the time you're right. Even if most of the time you're right and most of the time you're winning arguments in terms of defeating an opponent, you can be causing terrible, terrible damage. Remember, we say it over and over again from here. You'll do most of your damage in the world when you're right. Just keep your mind on that. In Christian faith, we remember Jesus' words that what is important is person, not power. If power was important to Jesus Christ, we would not have the cross. Human understanding of power. This is a declaration that what is important to Jesus Christ, person, people, reconciliation. This ought to impact even how we argue. If you find in an argument that that is being broken and that person is being pushed further and further away, then you know my faith needs, I need to think about my faith at this point. When you see the person first, even even as someone who's an opponent, 
you understand that if you win but break relationship, then it's not a win at all. Power in Christian understanding is very different than power as presented often, not always, but often in the world. We need to remember that the world can teach us things too, by the way. Some of the lessons of how to argue aren't only from Christian faith. They can be reflected by people who would never claim the Christian faith. And finally, what is better than right? You ask yourself this question. I just said you'll do most of your damage when you're right. So what's better than right? And Jesus Christ tells us, this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And the second is like it. In other words, it's, it's the greatest commandment too. That's what he means. He doesn't just simply mean, and it's kind of like it in style. He says, this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second, which is really part of the first, that's what he's saying. Love your neighbor as yourself. One professor that I was reading this week said, if you allow me to define the terms, then I will win every argument that we have. Allow me to define the terms and I will win every argument that we have. In other words, you can see this with kids too. And and you can play this game with kids. If you let them change the rules of a game, it's wonderful. Because they win every time. But then you just have to tell them, now I get to set the rules and change them whenever I want. And all of a sudden they become justice warriors. It's wonderful. There is this desire to be right, even to change the terms of an argument, just to get there. Love means something more. What's better than right? The answer is love. Love means seeing the other person as a person, rejecting labels, even labels that they have put upon themselves, rejecting labels that justify our hatred and our ignorance. So you can say, those such and suches. Now fill in your blanks for that. Those conservatives or those liberals or those whatever it might be. Don't do that. Don't do it. Reject those labels with the call to love. This is the way of Jesus Christ. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And on the cross said this. This is the one that you follow. This is the one to whom we give our lives. On the cross said about the very people who had put him there. Though he accepted this spiritually. But those who had put him on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Love is beyond rationality in such a way. Now here's the truth. Some of you might love these things, and so I don't mean to attack them, and we can get in an argument about it later, and I'll have a good time, and maybe you will too. But we'll love each other as we fight. Uh, Some of you might love like the militaristic images that can come up in some songs, right? Onward, Christian soldier. I never really got into that as a kid. Um, And and then later on I thought, that just sounds... And sometimes the military stuff would kind of put me off a little bit. I thought, why do we want to feel, why do we want to be sent out like an army? Because armies are like against things. Now I know that there's much more to that song, but anyway. But I have in my mind as we close the sermon, being sent out not as soldiers, but in some ways being unleashed upon this world. 
Not some force to win arguments against other people, but people who know, almost spoiling for a fight so that we can argue Christianly. An opportunity to live out our faith. Don't go out and create fights. But knowing that even where there's disagreements, now, Lord Jesus Christ, would you call me by your strength, presence, and power to live my faith right now. And you will be Christian witnesses in this world. So our response. Three simple things to mention. Firstly, can you do this this week? Can you notice your arguments? And some of you might want to come back. We'll have room in church each week. We didn't do it this week, but we'll start next week. We'll have little argument testimonies, okay? So if you want to say, i got a fight to tell you about, then, you know, we'll censor it and the rest. John's already smiling. Thank you. <laughs> um, we'll censor it and whatever else, but we need some good fight stories. And so, but firstly, notice your arguments, not just for material at church, but just notice how much you argue. It might be more than you think. I have in my notes a word I can't say, not from the pulpit at least, and I put this to myself as well. You might be more of a pain in, you might be more of a pain than you think you are. That's a hard one for me. There's times when I pray, Todd, you're way more of a pain than you think you are. Notice your arguments. Secondly, pray. Your faith will impact how you argue. Pray for such a thing to happen. Dear Jesus, Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father, change the way I argue. You pray that and you go out with that intention instead of go get them. I know that every one of you here knows just what everybody else in your family needs to do to make things right. Not go get them, but rather trust and lack of fear and lack of urgency. You don't have to solve everything tomorrow. And finally, look for opportunities to love those with whom you disagree. Don't do this in an annoyingly, like, Christianese kind of way. You know, you disagree with someone and then you're like, don't worry, I'm praying for you. And that's just another way of, like, telling them you don't like them. I'm not asking you to do that. (laughs) I'm saying, honestly, in the Holy Spirit, look for ways to think, I couldn't disagree with that person more But I know one thing. The only thing I know about them is this. I'm called to love them. So God, would you show me what that means? Let me pray. Come Holy Spirit and guide us in this now for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can be sent from this place. I feel almost bad for saying this, God, but uh, we, we don't look forward to our arguments. But we do look forward to showing your love. And to knowing that you are growing us. You are calling us to live this faith out. So bless us in this regard, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And I pray for the offering.